Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as our presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com. Fansets. Our pins have character. Hi, this is Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation, and you're listening to the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command Fleet Museum orbiting, I don't know, probably a garbage scow somewhere in New Jersey. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you, aliens across the galaxy, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. This is episode number 302, and we are super excited to talk about tonight's topic, today's topic. Whenever you listen to this, really, we're going to be excited to talk about it. Of course, by we, I do mean... My co-host and I. So, you know, in Picard season three, there's this scene where, you know, the portal weapon picks up an entire building and drops it somewhere. I can only hope that it was dropping it on the head of my co-host. He's the largely crushable Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, we're going to have fun with this one, buddy. We are going to have fun. Not as much fun as you watching me get crushed by a Starfleet building falling out of a portal weapon. Which sounds amazing. Evidently. Yes, <laughs> it's good to be here, man. Uh, as always, uh, as we uh, continue our five consecutive weeks of new episodes on Trek Geeks, it's very exciting. And, and this one I've been waiting for because Picard Season 3 was everything that I hoped it could be. It was wonderful. It was exciting. It was suspenseful. It was dramatic. It had funny moments. We're going to talk about all kinds of things uh, with Picard Season 3 and... Uh, we were told at the, you know, when season two was on and we were talking to some people that you ain't seen nothing yet was what people would say. And you know what? They were right. Season three lived up to all the hype, which is so hard to do these days. Uh, and I was very excited with how the season uh, unfolded. Oh, absolutely. I echo all of that. Um, I'm going to introduce a new feature here on Trek Geeks that I haven't hmm. told you about. Oh, boy. Um, I've been playing with chat GPT. Yes. You know, the, uh, for those who, who may not be aware or, or haven't been paying attention, it is the AI portal that, you know, will answer questions or, or provide text for you. Mm-hmm. And so I asked it to write the episode description for this episode of Trek Geeks. Okay. The prompt I gave it was, write a four-episode description of episode 302 of the Trek Geeks podcast, where the hosts examine the third and final season of Star Trek Picard. Okay. Simple enough task, right? Yeah, four paragraphs, nice and easy. Yep. Here is here here are the four paragraphs Ooh. that I received. Okay. Are you going to do it, it in it, like a robotic voice? I am not because that would okay. be dumb. Okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and 
it took about maybe 30 seconds for it to write all this, by the way. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. I've got it in front of me as well. Episode 302 of the Trek Geeks podcast di- dives deep into the highly anticipated third and final season of Star Trek Picard. Hosts Dan and Bill embark on an enthralling exploration of the latest chapter in the life of the iconic Jean-Luc Picard. With a mix of excitement and trepidation, they analyze the key elements of the season, sharing their thoughts on the overall story arc, character developments, and the impact on the Star Trek universe as a whole. All right, so the first paragraph, not bad. Pretty good. That's pretty good for what that's why Skynet's taking over, baby. Enthralling exploration seems like a bit of a stretch because it's it, you and me. Well, you know, we do explore enthrallingly. But it did get our names right because I didn't provide those. That's pretty cool. See? That's why we're all gonna die. <laughs> In the first segment, Bill and Dan delve into the season's overarching narrative. They discuss the bold direction the writers took, weaving complex themes of identity, sacrifice, and redemption. The hosts dissect the major plot points from Picard's quest to save the galaxy once again to the unexpected return of old allies and adversaries. With their trademark enthusiasm, (laughs) trademark enthusiasm, they examine how the season storylines resonate with the legacy of Star Trek and the enduring character of Jean-Luc Picard. All right, so that second paragraph, not bad. Trademark bad enthusiasm all. seems like a stretch. That is hysterical. Um, moving on, the hosts mm-hmm. dedicate a segment to the character development in season three. They highlight the growth and evolution of not only Picard, but also the supporting cast. Bill and Dan explore the challenges faced by each character and their personal journeys through the season. They discuss the emotional depth and nuance brought to the performances, as well as the events on the character, as well as the impact of the events on the character's motivations and relationships. Fan can expect an engaging analysis of the beloved characters and their triumphant or tragic arcs. So let me break that last part down to you. Yeah. (laughs) They're going to talk about some stuff that happens and it's either going to be great or or suck. (laughs) The final paragraph. Mm Mm-hmm. The final segment of the episode focuses on the broader implications of season three within the Star Trek universe. Bill and Dan reflect on the ways in which the season expands the lore and mythology of Star Trek. They examine the connections to the previous series and potential ramifications for future storytelling. With a keen eye for detail, they explore the Easter eggs, references, and thematic callbacks that will surely delight fans of the franchise. By the end of the discussion, listeners will have gained a comprehensive understanding of the impact of season three on Star Trek canon. Um, that seems like a bit of a stretch. <laughs> They're going to be like, oh, they they d- didn't even watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure Chad GPT gets us. <laughs> that sounds like something maybe for Mission Log. <laughs> right? That really does. <laughs> Norman John, there you go. Chat GT, whatever the hell it's called. Grand Theft Auto, I don't know. Chat GPT, there you go. Oh, my God. You are so... Uh, I know. So vapid. And, I know. <laughs> uh, um. We talked about this a little in the outtake that we recorded before we started the actual show, but we are four weeks away now from Fan Geeks Party 2023. And Dan, this week, yes. we made a huge announcement, buddy. Huge, huge announcement. We announced that our third guest that will be joining us on our live podcast from the Fan Geeks Party at Millennium Fandom uh, is the one and only Michelle Hurd of Star Trek Picard Seasons 1 through 3. And I, for one, could not be more excited. I'm going to warn everybody right now, you may hear a squeak or two out of me when we're talking to her, because I'm going to be fangirling, because it's Michelle Hurd, and I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait to talk to her. I've listened to her on other podcasts, and her enthusiasm is infectious, and I, I, I can't wait. Can't wait. I hope it remains that way after she has to talk to us. 
<laughs> or me. You can say it. Go ahead. I, I was being kind for once. And that's all right. That's okay. I understand. It's true. It's true. Yeah, we've had a bunch of we've had a bunch of people <laughs> asking us what can we expect at this party? And so let's let's detail it real quick. Uh, the first half of the party is a live recording of this very podcast. That's correct. Featuring our celebrity guests, uh, Bonnie Gordon from Star Bonnie. Trek Prodigy, mm-hmm. John Billingsley from Star Trek Enterprise, and of course, Jennifer. Michelle Hurd, as Dan just mentioned, from Star Trek Picard. Then we have a halftime show featuring Bonnie Gordon. Yes. Which is going to be- Dulcet tones. Uh, dulcet tones indeed. And then we come back with massive Stump the Geek- yeah. Where the audience could could get could win more fansets pins than we've ever given away before. We got the list the other day and I'm like, okay, do family and, and employees not count? Because I want all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. And and we, we, we're not gonna talk about stuff, um, but w- we've we've seen and heard what is going to be available from fansets at their booth at Vegas that is gonna be new. Some of the stuff is gonna be given away at the party. And you know what? Anybody who loves the stuff from fansets like we do, you do not want to miss this booth. Go to the booth, go to the party, win some stuff. It's gonna be awesome. Oh my god. I might even just pretend I don't even work for you anymore so I can win some stuff. And all of this takes place at the best bar in Las yep. Vegas. Millennium oh, so Fandom Bar. I mean, we're going to feel like we've come home mm-hmm. and we're in a friendly environment because everybody at Millennium Fandom is just like us. Yep, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm so psyched that that's where we're going to have this. We actually have, it's been something that we have, have talked about in the past and we just never really did anything about it. And that's where we're going to be. And I hope that's our home for the Fan Geeks Party for a long time coming, baby. Well, provided you don't do anything dumb again, I think we'll be okay. Again? That's what Dan, of course, as always, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansets, who we were just talking about All right. before the break, for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Yeah, indeed we do, man. They are super busy right now getting everything ready for the big convention in Las Vegas in just a few short weeks, but they still have managed a couple new items, which you can get right now at fansets.com. From the amazing universe of Trek pin line, you can get the one and only Captain Jonathan Archer from Enterprise. It looks fantastic, and it'll look even better when you add it to your collection. Also, the amazing TOS commemorative acrylic display is now available. It's a glorious representation of the TOS crew in the shape of the Guardian of Forever with the good old NCC-1701 in the center. And I got to tell you, this is a must-have. And we can let you in on a little secret because Fansets has teased about it on their social media. If you're in Vegas, you're going to want to get your hands on this beauty because it will be sold out very fast. Bill, you remember in Season 2 of Picard, the alternate timeline painting of General Picard? I do. Yes. Well, that pin that he was wearing, only seen in the painting, will be available in Vegas. That's right. It is the Borg Slayer pin, and it is a beauty. Slayer. I wonder when they're going to come out with a Dan Slayer pin because I'm going to get a whole case of those. I'm going to give them away. Wow. And I'm just going to create my own Dan Slayer army. Yeah. No? Uh, 
Thank you. So everyone, head on over to fansets.com. Get that new Archer pin and the TOS commemorative acrylic and stuff and more stuff and accessories and stuff. And at checkout, be sure to enter the special discount code TREKGEEKS for 10% off your entire order. That's TREKGEEKS in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget when you spend more than $30, you will automatically get free shipping in the United States. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. So, Dan, mm. you and I have talked a lot about the first two seasons of Picard. Recently, we did, or recently, like within the last 12 months, I guess, um, we did an episode about Picard season two. We did. But, you know, we were at the premiere for season one in Hollywood. Right. We watched season two. Yep. And I, I think we both genuinely enjoyed them. Although I personally thought season one was much stronger. Okay. I'm uh, kind of the opposite. Okay. Because of the way that, you know, how I am with alternate realities and stuff like that. I really liked the action and alternate universe aspect and cue in season two. I, you know, I, I'm going to say, I, I know a lot of people had a problem with Picard season one and two. I loved both of them. Um, if I had to rank them, I would have given season two a little bit higher than season one. That's fair. I, um, I think season one is a much better examination of Picard himself at, at that particular point True. in his life yep. and has fewer story problems than season two. But, you know, before, I want to say back in Chicago, for Mission Chicago last April, mm -hmm. we were told that we weren't ready for Star Trek Picard season three. And you and I were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, whatever. Right. And um, as it turns out, we were not ready for Star Trek Picard season three. No, we really weren't. I mean, we were talking to Dayton Ward in Chicago, and he mentioned that. And then we saw stuff online from people like Doug Drexler and the Akutas about how unbelievable the season was going to be, and you're not you're you're not going to want to miss it. And it's such a a love letter to what we love so much back with the original TNG series. And you know we've we've listened to hype before. We've we've gotten excited about stuff and been disappointed. There was no disappointment with this man. It was. I'm going to say it right now. I was going to say it for the end of this end of the season uh, end of the episode. This may be one of the best seasons of Star Trek. Period. Not of any specific series. I mean of all of them. That's how much I love this. Everything about this was great. There are a couple points where we're like, eh, but it just the the overwhelming um fantastic job that was done from direction, writing, uh, acting is something that we were not ready for. And it was it was beautiful. No, I agree with that. I think that you know, some of the things that worked about season two, um, we're mainly character based. There were some things that just did not work at all. But in season three, everything really seems to fire on all cylinders because we have the characters that we've known all along. Mm -hmm. We get to explore new facets of them and all right. of them, honestly. If you look at the TNG crew, you know, we learned something new about each of these characters and seen how they've evolved. You know, they're still very recognizable, but they're still very different people. And I think that. I mean, that's life, right? Yeah. You and I are different people than we were 25 years ago, and so were they. And one of the things that I, I thought was so interesting is the majority of them 
what has happened in their lives since we last have seen them is not all, you know, fun and roses. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hurt with a lot of the people's, uh, with a lot of the experiences that a lot of the crew have, have, have had. Um, and that was, that was sad, but at the same time, it was, it was good to see that it wasn't just this utopian place that everybody talks about. People have problems in the 24th or 25th now. I think it's the 25th. I think we're 25th. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I thought it, I thought it all worked and, and, and blended together very, very well. You know, I think for me, when I look at some of the, the themes of, of the episodes or of the season, uh, it strikes me pretty much right up front as I get older that these people have also gotten older. Yeah. But Star Trek Picard season three sends a very clear message. It's just because, you know, we get older doesn't mean we don't have anything to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I think that that becomes very apparent, uh, especially in the first three episodes or so. Yes. Um, and that was something that really resonated with me personally. You know, as we've talked about how I'm going through a layoff right now and looking for a job. And, you know, I, I feel a little older in technology because I am. You know, there are people who can do things faster than me and maybe even better than me. And But that doesn't mean that I don't have something to contribute. So already in going back and watching Picard season three, I'm already seeing something of myself in these um, seasoned next-gen <laughs> characters. And I thought that that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I found at the very beginning of the season, and I, I think a little bit last season, and I may have mentioned it, uh, if not on, on the show, to you, I got sad watching uh, Sir Patrick Stewart as Picard, and I think in the first couple episodes of this season, he's getting older, and in the show, he's like a hundred and something. He's like a hundred and ten or hundred and fifteen or something like that. And so many of his mannerisms, the way he spoke, reminded me of my dad when he was older. And sometimes it was hard for me to watch it because, I mean, it was like uncanny how they were almost exactly the same type of movements and, and the way that he, ex- his voice would, would express in the same way. Um, and it's like, wow, he's, he's getting old, he's getting up there. And that's, I'm not putting, and that's not a, that's not a negative thing to say no, that, but no. it, it's like, wow, we, when, when we watched the original, the, I'm oh, sorry, not the original next generation. That's, that's dumb. When we watched the next generation, you look at it and you think how young they were back then. We thought they were older. Yeah. But if you look at it now, <laughs> Will Wheaton is now older than Sir Patrick was when Sir Patrick played captain of the Enterprise in the, in the next generation. Yeah. And it's kind of mind blowing when you look at it. But with that being said, 30 years ago, they did the show. They all came back for this season and it's as if they just worked with each other last week. I think it's because they're in each other's lives so much. still constantly, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, I, I think that for me, one of the, the great highlights of this season really is getting some, some, some love and some, some amazing gravitas for Beverly Crusher. Yes. She, uh, you know, I, I've been critical of some of the early seasons of Next Gen or even just Next Gen in particular, where all of the, f- the, the woman characters mm-hmm. seem to be caregivers of some sort. With the exception of Tasha Yar, who doesn't stay with the show, right? Um, it, we're left with you know essentially women who you know are, are doctors or people who heal, mm-hmm. and not necessarily you know formidable Starfleet officers. 
um, that notion is buried in in the first episode of Picard. Yeah. You know, with Beverly's pump action phaser rifle, which one is one of the amazing. coolest things I have ever seen. That was the thing. I probably watched that scene with the pump action phaser like 10 times. Yeah. And I want one. I want one. I don't care if it's from Blue Bricks. I don't care if it's a model. I just want that pump action. Oh my God. That was so great. And she is a badass in the first episode and in the last episode. She's up there manually firing the phasers and torpedoes and she is just like blowing the board cube to hell. And it's, it's, it's great. I got massive Linda Hamilton vibes from her. Yes. Yep. And especially in that first episode because she she was like, no, not today. Yeah. Not uh, not today, invaders. Speaking of that very first episode, I'll say it because it's in the first scene. One of the things I loved is we got to see the change in Beverly that has already happened. But at the same time, that first 30 seconds is pure nostalgia. We see the things that she liked, like the the plant that she used to trim on her bedside. We see the we hear the log of Jean Luc Picard, Picard from Best of Both Worlds. We see Jack Crusher's Starfleet suitcase. It, it right from the get go. It's new and it's old, all put together. And Terry and his crew blend, like I said before, blended this all together in a way that is just phenomenal. You know. I, I just I'm blown away by that first episode because it's not what you expect. You know, based on the first two seasons of Picard, you perhaps expect something a little more introspective, perhaps esoteric. Mm-hmm. But this season really just sort of kicks you in the teeth. Um, and I, you know, we can't really go any farther. You talked about that opening thirty seconds. We have to acknowledge, simply must acknowledge, the work of Dave Blask and Liz Klukowski and and their team to make this series look the way we would hope it look with all of those little details and all of the great, you know, expansiveness of, of what Starfleet is. It is, it is better than anything we've seen in a Star Trek series to date. I'll tell you, I remember last year when we, when we, the first episode of season two or whatever many years ago it was star, the stargazer. And we saw that ship when we were like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And that's one of those you ain't seen nothing yet moments because they already knew what was going on and what was going to be done for season three. And just in the, I, I was going to say opening credits, but it's actually the end credits in season three, just the end credits, the amount of detail that went into putting together those visuals just for the sequence of, 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 of the who's in it and who wrote it and who directed it was unlike anything we have ever seen ever. It's, it was great. It, it really hits all of the the pleasure centers for Star Trek fans, you mm-hmm. know, from from start to finish. You know, you get action, you get compelling character notes. Um, you know, the one thing in episode one that got me, and it always seems like this is the case, is that Picard has to save the galaxy again. Mm-hmm. Each of the three seasons of Picard, that's been the case, but that's who Picard is. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to dog on that as a negative, but it's like, wait a second. People continuously refer to him as the greatest captain in Starfleet history, you know, or among the greats. And why wouldn't that be the case? Let me ask you this, and I'm not. It, this isn't a this isn't a um, a negative when I ask this, but what you said made me think of something. We've talked about how Discovery every season has been. They need to save the galaxy. I'm interested in what the difference is, why it's why it's good for Picard and why it's might not be so good for Discovery. Does that make sense? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, no, I I, I think you're right. I, yeah. I think it's I think it's fine for both series. 
I think that the stakes have been different with Picard every season. Yeah, that's true. Um, whereas Discovery, it is always, you know, life ending, all life everywhere. Yeah. In this case, it's not very far off from that. And it's something even perhaps more nefarious. Yeah. Than say well, we got yeah, to start with Discovery. True. That's the true. The other reason that I, I think that people are okay with it with Picard and not with Discovery is probably uh, based on who the hero character <laughs> is. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I don't feel that way. Yeah. No. And uh, most normal people don't, um, but there are some that do. Um, I, I th- we probably should have said this at the beginning. We are going to have spoilers in this, ep- in this discussion and that's okay. It's been out for a while. You can see it on Paramount plus. I'm not worried about spoiling and, it because yep. it's out there. It's out there. And, and anybody who's a Star Trek fan has probably seen it by now. Um, I will say that there were, there were so many great aspects of the character's development over the years and some that were a little shocking. It was, it was shocking enough to find out that finally, Beverly and Jean-Luc, you know, had a little fun weekend and had a child. And Beverly had a child because of that weekend. What I did not expect was that she hightailed it out of town for 20 years and didn't talk to anybody. Not Picard, not any of the crew of the Enterprise. I found that very interesting until she explained it to Picard as why she left. And then I totally got it. He would have had a target on his back his entire life because he was the son of Jean-Luc Picard. And it made sense. But when that first happened, I'm like, what is going on? She just left. It's like getting your shoes on after a good time and leaving the hotel room, baby. Gone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, you know, that, that shockingness was actually the point, honestly, if I have to think about it, because you think of these people as you know, being in each other's lives as, as being in touch the way they are in the real world. And to find out that Beverly just sort of drops off the face of the planet, you know, after some, some bounce chicka wow wow time, um, after she and Picard finally get to, you know, explore that, that part of their relationship. Yeah. And, um, I could see where it would hurt Picard. I could see where it was a, a great, uh, injury to him, but I can also see that I can't blame her for doing it. I can tell you one thing, though. One of the things that when Sue and I were watching it, when when they were talking about everything, Picard Picard didn't hold back on how he felt about it, and he was right in 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 our opinion. The way that he came across that it should have been my decision to make was one hundred percent correct. And I thought it was a little bit selfish on Beverly's part that she never even let him know that he had a son. See, but I can't fault Beverly for it. Because based on what you said before, you know, he's the kid of Jean-Luc Picard is always going to have a target drawn on him. Yeah. And it's a no-win scenario. It it really is a no-win scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I see her point. I, I actually, I, I can't blame her for it because, you know, I, I think she was justified in those actions. She should have named him Kobe. Why? Yashi Maru. No win scenario. I'm sorry. I'm so- podcasting with you is a fucking no win scenario. <laughs> okay, back on target. Here we go. Stay on target. Um, I mean, what were you thinking? I don't know. I do you talk? Who are you talking? In to? my head, I'm thinking Kobe Beef. Where does that Co- come from? <laughs> Kobe Yashi Maru. Yes. Anyway, you- sorry. I'm sorry. Just trying to. Th- sorry. Yeah. Just stop. Okay. Just stop. Um. I, I do appreciate that aspect of Beverly's character. I'm glad 
that that scene in sickbay exists between her and Jean-Luc because it gets a lot of time, but it deserves a lot of time. It does. And it is perfection between those two actors. Yeah, it really is. Um, there's so many good things about the series, and we're going to bounce back and forth about all kinds of things. But I got to say, one of the highlights was Todd Stashwick. I mean, that that portrayal of the captain was so great. He is when we and and I'll tell you what everybody and I think including you and I the first episode we saw him when he was in his ready room and insulting the Picard wine and all and no saying no everybody thought he was the biggest dick and and hated him by the end of the series everybody loved him and everybody wants him to be back in Star Trek Legacy if that ever happens the only reason I thought he was a jerk was for putting Picard and Riker in bunk beds <laughs> yeah that was pretty low um, yeah. Everything else I was fine with because he knew exactly what they were going to try to do. They were going to try to commandeer his ship. Yeah. What Captain Picard would never have stood for that. Right. Yeah. He was, he was such a fantastic character. And there were times where I was wondering if he was going to be involved in the plot and, and turn out to be one of the bad guys. But I'm so glad that he wasn't. And I'm so happy that he ended up being one of the heroes who sacrificed himself so that the rest of the crew, uh, could survive and and i'll tell you what those parting words when he called seven seven that was just that was one that was awesome that was it was great and he's a he's a funny guy in real life um and he had some zingers all season long um it was tough to watch a bone come out of his leg but that's okay (laughs) that that scene in the the 10 forward holodeck simulation oh man where he is talking about being at wolf 359 Mm mm-hmm is just it 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 just tears your guts out. It really and the does. Subtle sounds of battle going on while he's telling his side of the story. I thought was a great little extra emotional boost for the people watching the episode. Um, it, you felt like you were living it when he was, and uh, I thought it was I thought it was really great. I really was kind of hoping he'd throw an O'Brien reference in there at some point because he was a grease monkey from Chicago, but uh, didn't happen. But that's okay. He was he was he was fantastic, and that that whole. That whole 10 forward scene might have been one of the highlights of the entire season. Is that because it's inspired in large part by Jaws? Yeah. It's, I, I and I've, I know you're I've, a big, huge, huge Jaws fan. My favorite movie of all time, hands down. Um, I, I, yeah, there's, they've talked about how that was actually an inspiration. And, and, you know, when, when I think about the scenes in Jaws that that's kind of relating to, they do a great job. They do. They do a really good job of that, of that, um, of that tenseness and 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 letting you kind of visualize just by hearing the words that they're talking what was happening at the time. It was great. Well, and even the character name of Captain Shaw, Shaw, is a, yep. is a nod to to Robert Shaw who was in Jaws. So Quint, um, just yep. fantastic all around. I have to say that each of our our beloved legacy characters gets introduced in an interesting way. Nobody just sort of shows up and they go, oh, hey, it's Jordy, or oh, hey, it's Worf, or hey, Deanna. Everybody gets their sort of moment to come in, and it's it means something. And I think that's one of the things I really appreciate about those introductions. What was your favorite one of them? Do you um, have one? Oh, Worf, without a doubt. Yeah, that's, that's going to be mine too. Yeah, it was great. And you know, here's a silly thing. I knew that the that the that the that all the different – members of TNG were going to show up. But I was so 
focused on that episode with watching the guy who played the the Ferengi who was great. Um, <laughs> and then she takes the drug, which was a really cool special effect also. And then it's blurry. And then I'm like, oh, somebody just stabbed him. I had I I it didn't even dawn on me for a few seconds that it was gonna be Worf. And then when when they, that that image cleared I'm going to tell you, man, I said last year that I love the way John Delancey looked as an older Q. Worf looks awesome as an older Klingon with that white hair. I thought that he just looked like a warrior. I thought it was great. Yeah, he did. Uh, we got to say Aaron Stanford from 12 Monkeys was fantastic as Sneed. the name. Yeah, Sneed. Yeah, he was uh, really good. You know, so in in the following episode when Worf is back on board the La Serena with Rafi, he goes through, you know, I am Worf, son of Mog, house of Martok. I wonder why he didn't list father of Alexander. Oh, too soon. Oh, ouch. I did like the Slayer of Galron. Slayer I thought that was pretty cool. Good. That was good. Um, I, I ha- always had a hard time picturing Worf drinking chamomile tea, but I like it for him at this phase. <laughs> he's he's very peaceful warrior type. Yes. Uh, we're all going to die. <laughs> That's a great line, too. Can, can we just admit that Frakes <laughs> – is probably the MVP of this season. Yeah. Both in many ways, but this is the best version of Riker we have ever, ever Hell seen. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And he seems so comfortable in it. When we talked to him, with, you know, three years ago. Yeah. You know, for the, uh, the Feeding America live stream, he had some trepidation on as being Riker again. And yeah. he would not know it. <laughs> Never would know it. And he said, he said he was scared to death. He hadn't been in front of a camera in what? 15, 20 years or something like that. And so he did the the couple of episodes of Picard season one. Uh, and we really didn't know what else we would get from him. He was, I think he was in every episode. I think he was in every episode of yeah. season three. Yes. Um, and he did a great job, whether it was in front of or behind the camera. And, and that's one of the things also I love about Riker is he's had a lot of good things that happened to him in the time that we did not see him, but he had some horrible things happen. And, and the whole, yeah. the whole death of his son and how that affected the relationship with Deanna and their daughter, I thought was incredibly important for the growth of the character or the shrinking of the character in some ways also and how he had to get to that, that bottom, the hit bottom before that he could come out of it again so in a way it was great that they fell back into the jellyfish baby thing and then came alive again um uh, but at the same time that was that was some dark moments with with him and what he was what he was saying happened it was Seven, six six seconds 16 seconds that 17 seconds 17 seconds and i i like how he found his way again yeah he needed to to, to get out of that yep and it, it took all of this for it to happen um Will Riker is probably one of my favorite characters in all of, of Trek history. And to to see this ex- exploration of him really was just amazing for me. Um, you know, uh, people used to joke about him a lot, or Riker a lot, not Frakes. You know, in the early in the early runs of, of Next Generation, you know, because of the way he walked or, mm-hmm. you know, the way he'd respond to things or the way in some seasons he just looked annoyed. <laughs> but this takes the Riker that we knew at the end of the series and in the movies and just makes him even more human. Yeah. And that's what I really appreciate about this. Yeah. It, it, you gotta, you gotta wonder, we didn't get to see him when he was captain of the Titan. We've seen books or we've read books with him as captain Titan. He seems like the type of captain you would want to serve under the one that people would, f- would like, you know, get in line to, to be, to be with captain Shaw. Not so much. 
from just from from what everybody said and you know he's a huge pain in the ass and and everything and just that outer gruff but you gotta if if i had a choice in starfleet and i was going to choose a captain i would probably choose Riker first just based on what we saw of him in the season I imagine if you were not an ex-Borg, Shaw was probably fine. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that must have been great realizing that he's going to have two ex-Borg on his ship and one of them served under him. Yeah. Um, I, I was really, really excited for Jordy to come back. Jordy was not a character I loved in Next Gen. Mm-hmm. He, I didn't hate him, but he wasn't a favorite of mine. Um, there are episodes that don't treat Jordy as well. Not in next gen, yeah. Um, Relics is an episode that I like because Jimmy Doohan is in it, but I I hate because mm-hmm. Jordy is a total jerk to Scotty Complete and just not Jordy. Yep, yep. But in Star Trek Picard, we see uh, you know a man who's now he's a commodore, he's running the fleet museum, That's cool. But he's he's a father, and we see so much depth to Jordy now that I never thought we'd see after seven seasons of Picard. And I think that we finally got Geordi right. Yeah. And we see, we see parts of Geordi that uh, we talked about, you know, with, with Riker, maybe not to the depth that Riker went through, but it's good to see that people in the 25th, 25th century have family problems. Yeah. Um, and, and they are no different. Um, I thought it was great to have his real life daughter on the show. She did a great job. Um, and and it was really great. We hadn't seen Commodore in Star Trek since when? Um, so it was really season great one of Picard. Yeah. So was, oh, that's right. That's right. Commodore. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, but uh, it was it was great to see him. I'll never get tired. You know, I love the visor, but I'll never get tired of what those cybernetic eyes look like when he's because he's got he's got eyes. He's Lavar eyes. So it's it's good to to have those. And and it was also good, which I may be stepping on your toes a little bit. Don't know what you're going to bring it up or not. To see him and Brent have that relationship that was so special in TNG, to have that again as Jordy and Data in a couple of the scenes that they share together. One of the things that really warmed my heart is we got a Jordy and Data walk and talk. Yeah. You know, like we used to on Next Gen. Right. And it's just, it felt so familiar and it, it felt like it felt like coming home in a way, you know, but let's talk about data for a second. I'll, I'll jump ahead because I was going to save data sure. for last, but okay. the character I was most worried about them reintroducing was data. Yeah. Because we knew he was going to come back as lore based on the teasers. Sure. Yep. But we did not know that essentially he was going to be a golem with all of the facets of data or yep. all of the soon type androids. Lol. Yeah. In in his brain. And I thought that that made for some really interesting storytelling, especially sort of the battle of data and lore mm-hmm. um, inside his mind, which I thought was really just fantastic. It was really cool. At first, I'm like, oh, how are they going to pull this off? Is this, this going to be some kind of weird thing? But then they did the like they did the flash to the all white room, which they do in Star Trek all the time. And it actually worked. Yeah. I thought it was I, I was I was I will not lie, even though we all know we should all know that it's going to going to be a happy ending. I was a little worried that data was going to go. And because he said, this is it. I'm done data. Data's done. So I was wondering, is he going to, is he going to be gone and, and he's going to lose the battle with lore and they're going to have to just have to kill lore. They didn't have to do that. Um, I did like how data purposely just manipulated lore exactly like he knew he could be manipulated in order to get him to do the things so that he could take over and, and 
get rid of lore once and for all, but still be his brother at the same time. Um, and it was, it was great special effects to have the two, uh, interacting with each other. Um, another great job for the special effects team. It was, it was not easy to see that it was digitized or body doubles or anything like that for any of those scenes. It worked really well. And I gotta say kudos to Brent because I mean, it, it's got to be difficult to play, um, an older version of an Android who's not supposed to age. Mm hmm. I right. thought that the way they addressed it creatively was really great. And I think that Brent probably was the best he's ever been. Because he's been in all three seasons of Picard now. Mm-hmm. Um, was probably the best he's ever been in Picard. And it was just, it was a joy to watch. It really was. It was really cool to see him instantly switch from one android to another. Um, age taken out of that just going from the data comp the way that data talked to the way that lore talked in mid-sentence um when he was in i don't know if it was sick bay but when they were when they found out that it was picard's body that was yeah. stolen f- from days from it was really kind of cool to see that uh that's that's good acting to be able to do that uh, as well as brent does it um he's had a lot of practice with data that's for sure but it was it was still pretty fun to watch the other thing i thought was fantastic was we got to see deanna troy be a counselor again mm-hmm. Um, because that was kind of long overdue in the movie. She hasn't really had that. Right. Um, but it's because of her that we actually unlock what's in Jack Crusher's mind. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that exploration. And we learn that it's the, it's been the Borg all along. In fact, it's always been the Borg. Always been the Borg. Yeah. But I, I think that this is, you know, back in, we talked about Picard season one. I said that that's the best version of Deanna Troy we've ever seen with the Penthe. And at the time, it was demonstrably true. Yes. This Picard season three is the best Deanna Troy in history. Yeah. And then yeah. some. And Marina does such a great job of of portraying both the good and bad aspects of Deanna as she's also dealing with the death of Thad. Yes. Um, and how they basically it kind of hinted at, you know, Riker kind of hinted that they were separated. Um so yeah. um it was great to see it and I'll tell you what it was so it was so great to see when he was talking to her over subspace and everybody was happy and things were great and then when he got captured and was on the uh um the enemy ship which is the best one of the best enemy ships in Star Trek by the way we'll get to that later Oh the Shrike uh, the Shrike was phenomenal that noise that it made just was awesome but and then all of a sudden the the cell opens up and there's Deanna and she's just like oh will it's just like oh my god how can they go through more uh, it was it was good. It was really good. It was really great. Um, and we can't get a, a, you know away from talking about all the characters because we've touched on them all without talking about Picard himself. We touched on him briefly at the beginning, mm-hmm. but this is a Picard that we've never seen before, and we've said that kind of every season so far. Yeah. Picard. Yeah. This is Picard the father v- and the and vulnerable and v- extremely vulnerable, more so than yeah. he was in season one, and for very yeah. different reasons. Yep. But it is. It is interesting to see Picard accept that mantle at over a hundred years old. And it this is hard, this is this is gonna sound so uncaring and so callous, but it's um it's amazing to watch a man, like you said, of over a hundred years old find out that he has a son that he has never seen in twenty plus years. How old is how do you think Jack is? Probably in his late twenties, early thirties, I'm thinking. No, that's how old Ed Spilliers is, but Jack is still supposed to be pretty young. Okay. All right. So like nineteen so he's or still, twenty, I think. Okay. So he's still he's still he's still an older an older young man. And almost instantly Picard is ready to 
destroy the galaxy to protect his son that he never knew he had. That's a great aspect of of Picard with this season and how at the very beginning of TNG, he didn't like kids. He didn't want them on his bridge. Don't sit in my chair. Being stuck in a turbo lift with a bunch of kids was one of the worst things he could have ever endured. And now he is here. He is dealing with his own son and he's willing to risk everything to make sure he's safe, especially like when he when he said belay when he yelled out belay that order when they were going to hightail it out or or was it that or raise the shields I forget which one it was um and and Shaw was like oh god damn it that was it right then you knew that he would have done anything to protect his son at the cost of everything and because I mean that's what any of them would have done and he would have done that for any one of them as well but it was even more imperative because it was Jack it was his, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was a turn for Picard's character that I, I saw coming, but didn't see coming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I always assumed that there was something between Jean-Luc and Beverly, but I never thought that um, it was going to be Jack. But to see Picard get the chance to have that relationship in those circumstances, I, I think was, was really kind of beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I think it brought, I don't want to say closure, because, you know, there's there's a point in Picard where he's like, well, you know, there are no or generations. There are no more Picards. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, there kind of are now, even though he's Jack Crusher. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that lineage, that line will live on. Yeah. And I think that that, if I were him, that would bring me some peace. Speaking of Picard lineage, this is one thing that I don't know if I even asked you this, but when they're in when uh when Jack's, you know, he's gone through the academy, the the fast track and and he and and Picard and Beverly are on the shuttle heading towards the new ship. I was kind of thinking that it was going they were going to come up over that hull and it was going to be the Picard, the USS Picard. I was happy to see it was the Enterprise, but at the same time I was kind of bummed that it wasn't the Picard. I don't know. I know. I know he's still alive. They don't name ships. That's after the thing. Still alive, yeah. but there's kind of extenuating circumstances for this guy. So there's it would have been kind of cool. Um, but uh, yeah, you don't name a ship after somebody who's alive, unless you're the United States Navy. Apparently, <laughs> look how well that's worked out. I'm not dogging yes. on the Navy. Please don't. <laughs> you know, but we, we do tend to name aircraft carriers after presidents yes. and. Yeah. One named after George Herbert Walker Bush was commissioned while he was still that's right alive. That's right. Yes, that's um, right. But in Starfleet, you know, we don't you know, we don't typically name ships after people who were living. All right. Um, then I guess it had to be the Enterprise, which makes sense. It, it kind of had to be the Enterprise, and honestly, I'm glad. I'm glad it is. I'm sad that we saw the Enterprise F for like the briefest of seconds. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, because I actually I love the design of the Enterprise. It was it's very I have nice. since it was introduced in Star Trek Online. Yep. Um I thought it was great that it finally is canon. Mm-hmm. Um and I love seeing Admiral Shelby getting taken out. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> I just love seeing you know, it was it that was a shock. See Shelby was a shock, Roe was a shock, but Shelby came completely out of the blue. Never thought we'd ever see Shelby again. Of course, now, you know, thinking about it being Borg, it's great, but it's great we got to see her. Ah, oh, and then she died after like 30 seconds. Okay, bye. Well, we assume she died. <laughs> I think she died. <laughs> You're probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, There's there's so much to this season. I mean, there's no way we can cover it in an hour-long podcast. Yeah. Because um, everything about it is just perfection. We, we have to talk about Michelle Hurd. We got to yeah, talk because about we've, we've talked about one other person. Yeah, yeah we've, 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 we've 
touched all of the, the TNG regulars. Yeah. You know, we've touched on Ed Spilliers briefly, but Michelle Hurd, the, uh, aside from, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart, and Jerry Ryan, sort of the only other holdover the other from yeah. the, the original season of Picard. Yep. And I like the fact that, that she gets to, she gets redemption after all of this, after people, you know, saying that you're being a conspiracy theorist, you're, you're, you're nuts practically at the very end of this, people realize, you know what? She was right all along and we knew she was right. Yep. But you know, because she'd had other challenges, people just assumed she was out of her mind and she wasn't. And I love that she gets that comeuppance. She does. And it was her best. It was Michelle's best season of the three, I think, without a doubt. Yeah. She got to do so many things. Again, the roller coaster of life. You know, it's like you said, everybody thinks she's a crackpot. She's drummed out of Starfleet in disgrace and she's living in the desert and drinking and doing drugs. And now everything that she has always been concerned about, we find out was true. She gets that redemption. She has a great relationship with Worf. And oh my God, to see some type of show with the two of them team together would be just awesome. And I will be asking her about that at the party. I will tell you that right now. Um, but it was great to see. And, you know, she lost her family. But she got her family back at the end, which I thought was a great yeah. little bookend to her character. Michelle is a great, a great actress. She plays the emotions so well. We saw how pissed off she was at the beginning because she couldn't do anything and her handler wasn't giving her any information and we didn't know who it was. Then you saw that reaction, and and some people might say it's overacting, but the reaction that they showed when the when the portal weapon hit the Starfleet Academy building, the way that she jumped in her chair and just started shaking, I can picture that vividly in my mind every time, it, whenever I think about it, because it was just such a a, a great act uh, acting of of being in complete shock. She has the whole spectrum of emotions going on. She does great action scenes. The battle scenes that she did, the hand-to-hand combat were great. And um, I, oh God, I can't wait to talk to her in four weeks. <laughs> I, I I would love it if, you know, Worf and Rafi were the Section 31 show. Yes. The Section 31 show that's never going to happen, by the way. Yep. Um, but I would love it if that had been the case. If that, that had been like, surprise, by the way, you're Section 31 and it's Worf and Rafi. I would have been like, oh my God, that's amazing. There's some great behind the scenes video of her and Michael Dorn. Yeah talking about how much they love working with each other and the chemistry was there and you can see that on camera they were gr- it was great that Terry or whomever decided to put those two together to handle the aspect of the season for that storyline it was it was great they were a, they were a fantastic uh, working pair for the for the whole season well if you get the chance to see the uh, the ready room interview with them that will we yeah. does yeah. Um for that particular episode it is it is fantastic. I think it covers a lot of what you were just talking about. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's uh, I like that we get a, an actual complete journey for Rafi from season 1 to season 3. Mm-hmm. And now she's first officer of the Starship Enterprise, dude. <laughs> what? Who would have thought? You got you got you got her a former a former addict and drummed out of Starfleet is now first officer of the flagship, which is captained by an ex-Borg and the and a former vigilante as a Fenris Ranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, that's interesting. The Enterprise uh, certainly has uh, a new uh, challenging uh, chapter ahead of it. Um, it really does. <laughs> it does. One one thing that I want to talk about one person, but I'm gonna I'm gonna caveat with this. It was so amazing to have an incredible Deep Space Nine arc brought into this season with the yes. Changelings. Yes, I thought that. I remember hearing about it, 
And then I forgot about it. And then when we first saw them on the TV, that was my old bleep moment this season where I jumped up because I was so excited. It was the changelings. And I thought that was great. Was wondering how it was going to be, you know, incorporated. Were they going to be the bad guys? Was Guldacott somehow going to be brought back? All these ridiculous things that people think of. But that it was the Borg at the end was amazing. But I got to say, Amanda Plummer as Vatic, that is the most psychopath villain we have ever seen in Star Trek, in my opinion, even more so than Khan, because she was just batshit crazy. I don't know that she was crazy as much as she was um, more hell-bent Hell on revenge. <laughs> we said it at the same time, yeah. Um, yeah. I, there's definitely something different about her. And I mean, if, you know, if, if I had been Vatic and I had all those tests performed on me and I was essentially a yeah. A lab rat, you Wasn't know, that, that was being tortured, essentially. Yeah. Um, I probably would have much the same reaction. If for as disturbing as Vatic was, I, I find Vatic to be a very sympathetic character. I see why Vatic struck out um, and essentially wanted to destroy, you know, everything. 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 I, and why Vatic was willing to be a, a tool of the Borg mm -hmm. to do it. How did that even happen? How did the Borg and the Changeling get in contact with each other? I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. One thing I found interesting about her though, was as, as tortured as she was, I, I love in a warped way, how she decided to use the form of the person that tortured her. Yeah. That was real. And that had the scars and, and everything like that. Amanda Plummer, every role I've seen her in, she's pretty much a crazy person. <laughs> Pulp Fiction uh, is is one and uh, a crazy person. I say that in, in in quotes, being funny, but and so I married an axe murderer. Um, she does a great job in that one, but she's always seems to be just right on the edge of of just completely losing her losing her stuff. Well, if you think about it, you know she assumes the form of one of the scientists that worked on her. I mean, Odo did exactly the same thing. He just couldn't do it nearly as expertly. I mean, because he kind of emulated Dr. Mora's look. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's right. I mean, yep. that's keeping yep. with canon right there, which I, but I then think all is the fantastic. rest of the changelings in the galaxy did the same thing, looked exactly like Odo, which let's I always just, thought was weird. Let's just brush that <laughs> under the rug, okay? Why do you have to be so damn critical? I'm not critical. I loved it. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I'm great. I'm, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic. Um, Big Bill. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> Words weren't it's meant to a, hurt, Dan. That's not an insult. And by any stretch of the imagination. No, it, it pretty much sounds like it was. Okay, um, good. Wow. What a sorry. jerk. So I'm sorry. But uh yeah, she was she was fantastic in this role and and if there was ever an, an appropriate time for an F bomb to be dropped in Star Trek, it was when she right before she died. That was a great end line for her. And I, I said it before, the Shrike was awesome. I thought it was more incredible than the, the scimitar. I really loved it. What was more incredible to me was the fact that there was this sleeper plot by the Borg for what amounts to decades. 30 years, yeah. And they were just they were just laying in wait. Yep. It's like, you know what? We're just going to sit back and we're going to wait. And y'all don't know what's coming. But when it comes, it's going to rock your world. And you will be assimilated. And by a transporter. They damn near were. <laughs> um, what a... What a when that happened, you want to talk about your oblique moment. Yeah. When I realized that that's what was occurring, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. 
um, the entire fleet assimilated like under the covers and they don't even know it. Yeah. It's just waiting for the Borg for Jack. The Borg have always been the most formidable enemy of the Federation. And to be able to sit back and just wait and do what you got to do in the shadows for 20, 30 years, that's patience. Especially when like you're, you're hiding in Jupiter and, and half your body's decomposed and you're, you're stuck on a wall the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a dead ship. Thanks to, thanks to Captain Janeway. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it was really kind of cool. I like that aspect. It was, it was very cool. Um, and by the way, I mean, we can't end this discussion without talking about Captain Seven of Nine. Yes. Of the Starship <gasps> Enterprise. Mm-hmm. All right. Think about the legacy of Enterprise captains. All right. <laughs> you've got Robert April. Okay. You've got Chris Pike. Yep. You've got Jim Kirk. Yeah. You've got Spock. Spock. Because yeah. Spock was captain of the Enterprise in Star Trek Two. Yeah. So we got Will Decker in there. Decker. Okay. Yeah. You can throw him in there. All right. Yeah. Decker's in there. You got Kirk again. Yeah. You got John Harriman. We'll let that one have a pass. Yeah, you got um, Rachel Garrett. Yep. Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard. Yep. Will Riker. Yep. Edward Jellicoe. Yep. And now, well, Jean-Luc Picard again, and then yep. seven, a wharf. A wharf, yep. Technically. Yep. yep. And then and seven, seven of nine. Seven of nine. Talk about full circle for Star Trek. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. It's the first and- time that a series, you know- has had a woman captain of the Enterprise. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, we saw Rachel Garrett, but she, she died minutes. inside like of an act. Yeah. Yep. Yesterday's Enterprise. And and hats off to Jerry because, you know, I always thought, because I know that we've taught we we've heard about the 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 struggles that she and Kate may have had during Voyager, and that's been all that's all been, you know, resolved and everything. I didn't really know if she ever wanted to come back to Star Trek again, to be honest. I mean, I've seen her in other stuff since, since Voyager went off the air and, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure how it was going to be like to see her 20 years after Voyager was going to be like, it was great to see her. It was great to see how she struggled also and how she decided, you know, she wasn't allowed in Starfleet. So she became a pirate and then she was back in Starfleet and she couldn't stand it because her captain was a jerk. And, and now look at her and, it was great, and and by the way, promoted to captain through the voy- through the wonderful cameo of Tim Russ's Tuvok. Another great little uh, awesome moment where I was jumping out of my skin when we first saw him on that view screen, and then he turned out to be a changeling, and I'm like, oh god, he's dead. But he wasn't. I was happy. It's a shame <laughs> it couldn't have been Janeway. It really is. I would have loved to see Janeway. They talked about her so much all season long. It would have been great. Oh well. I don't think they talked about her that much all season long. They they must have referenced her at least a dozen times during the season. I don't think we watched the same show. Oh, God. I kind of think that they did. No. Uh, okay. I'm going to watch it again. Oh, darn. I have to watch the season I know. again. She referenced <laughs> a couple of times. but It's been more than that. Uh, no. She's she's not name dropped that often at all. All right. We're going to we're gonna have to check into that one. Yeah. I'm going to ask Terry about it when we talk to him. If we yeah, can. sure you will. All right. Whatever. I will. I'm going to write it right down. Ask Terry... A about Jerry. B is Jerry's going to go. Who are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, there there right. are so many aspects of the season that we could spend time nerding out about, but I really think the takeaway here is uh, this is the best season of Star Trek 
you know, in this new golden age of Trek. Yeah. Um, that we've seen since 2017. It it's, was the, it was everything the, we ever wanted. It's everything we ever wanted. It was the proper send off to the crew that we fell in love with, with the reintroduction of Star Trek into our lives in the eighties. They didn't get the send off they needed with Nemesis. Um, so I am, I was ecstatic to see that they got exactly what we were told they would get, which was something we wouldn't believe and we weren't ready for. The only downfall is that I wish there were more episodes. It, exactly. Yeah. That last episode. Oh, I wanted to bring this up because yeah. it's very important. One of the best scenes of the entire season was the end because when they were in 10 forward and he pulled out the cards, I just like started like, waving my hands and and oh my i'm like hon oh my god oh my god they're gonna play poker they're gonna play poker if they do the spiraling camera like they did in tng i'm gonna freak out and what do they do for 10 minutes or it seemed the spiraling camera and i was uh listening to an article or reading an article or watching a, uh, an interview where terry said that they filmed for like an hour of them just playing poker so that was that wasn't picard and 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 Riker and everybody that was Patrick and Jonathan and Marina playing cards, having a great time. They just kept filming it, and then they just pulled the best stuff out of it for that final scene. And it was a perfect way to wrap up Picard Season 3 by doing what they did at all, in All Good Things. I would have watched the whole hour. Yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I hope they have that somewhere, because I'd love to also. <laughs> um, but really, it wasn't the end. No. <laughs> now, if you haven't watched Picard, you will stop here. Yes. Don't, don't listen to this part. Because after the the sort of end credits or in the middle of the credits of, of the final episode of Star Trek Picard after that poker playing scene, mm. there's a cut scene yep. aboard the enterprise aboard the enterprise. Yep. With Jack Crusher in his quarters. Unpacking. Unpacking. And in th- so we'll give people three, two, one. And it's Q. Huh? What? Oh, Q was supposed great. to be dead. Ah, uh, yeah, but uh, so you people, are, you humans are so linear. I know. <laughs> Again, th- how many more? How many more curveballs and surprises can they throw at us that we're gonna love? Because that was one, and then they left it just dangling there, not knowing if we're ever gonna have another show. <laughs> you know, I-, I said this to you many times. This season of Picard really kind of felt like a season of twenty-four. And it's pacing, <laughs> yeah. and it's twists and turns. Um, and that's not a criticism by any means. I mean, nope. it was that engaging. I was plugged in the whole time. Um, exactly. And every time there was a plot twist, I'm like, what? Yeah. I I, I love it. It's I, – I will put it right up there. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll call it TNG season eight. You know, when I put the, you know, the, the discs mm-hmm. on my shelf mm-hmm. yep. because I think that's where it belongs. That's how good it is. It was it was everything we weren't ready for and more than I could have ever hoped for. I yeah. loved this season, Bill. It was incredible. I wept, I laughed, I was scared, all the gamut of emotions during the entire scene. When you can get that emotionally involved in a television show and what's going on with the characters, you know something's being done right. And it was done right. And they can say, oh, it was all fan service with all the stuff and all the throwbacks. You know what? It was exactly what we wanted 25 year, 20 years ago when Nemesis came out. Um, and it was the last, the last movie. 
This was this was so great, and I'm so happy that they all did it. I'm even more happy that they all loved it, loved doing it. That's very important, also. You know, I'm I'm weary of the the criticisms of uh, calling something fan service. Yeah, because I mean, what's the crime? Exactly, it's what we love. You know, we we love you know when Star Trek is self referential. You know, we love it when we see things that we've seen before. Um, that's not fan service. I mean, there's been an entire universe of Star Trek built over the last 57 years. Yep. And it makes sense that there are going to be callbacks. There are going to be references because there is a history. You know, as soon as we wound up with Star Trek The Next Generation, we set forth a pattern of events that means we're going to call back to things. The Naked Now. The Naked Now. <laughs> like the third episode. Third episode. Yep. Uh-huh. You know, McCoy. So <laughs> I, I don't understand the people who want to just scream fan service because yeah. uh, fan service means that you love the fans, you respect the fans and you're giving them something that you know, they're going to appreciate. Right. And, and that's something that I think is very important to point out. Terry and his team, not only love the fans, they are fans. They are fans. And I think that this is what we've seen with a lot of the Star Trek that we're seeing these days. A lot of the writing teams and everything like that are fans of the show. And it is their passion as much as it is ours. And you can see that with the product that they put out. This one, this season, was way up there with how that was done. And I give credit to Terry Metalis and all of the staff, the directors, the cast, everybody for what they did. It truly was a a a um a, a job that they loved to do. And on top of all the things that we saw, I love seeing all the things, especially by people like I said earlier, like David Glass and Doug Drexler and the Akutas, about their behind-the-scenes pictures and stories about how incredible it was to do all that stuff. Like, we didn't even talk about one of the biggest characters showing up in this season being the Enterprise D. I was just going to go there. There you go. And and being able to rebuild that set and and get it just so perfectly right and God damn, to hear that computer voice again was just wonderful. And for Riker to even make a comment about it was even better. It was nice to see the Enterprise D get the hero treatment it deserved. Yep. yep. Um, it did not deserve the way it, it went down in generations. Nope. Um, because you know, for all. seven seasons, it was our home as fans. Mm-hmm. We, we were on this truck with the crew of the Enterprise D. And then all of a sudden, it's crash landed on the surface of Viridian 3. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, I love the Sovereign class Enterprise, but it wasn't the same. No, it wasn't as the D. And to see it get its chance to to be restored, and to know that Jordy had spent all these years kind of piecing it back together, you know, using a a star drive from a different ship, and you know, refitting the the the, the primary saucer section, and then to see it do what it did through the board cube with Data flying because it was old. And it wasn't tied to to the rest of what Starfleet was. I just thought that was great. The way it maneuvered, the way yeah. that it did what it did, mm-hmm. it um, it, it was it was a tribute to that ship and the lasting legacy of the Enterprise D. I'm I'm glad that it's parked at a museum now yep. because that ship still exists in canon. It's yep. not destroyed. Let and me ask you a quick it question. It deserves it deserves that place. It does. It really does. I have a piece of desk top wallpaper art of the Enterprise D from Picard. And in the artwork, the hull, uh, the saucer section has all the scarring from when it landed on Viridian 3. Is that scarring evident 
in the show. I'll have to go back and watch the scenes where they show the Enterprise D to see if it if it does have that damage from when it crash landed. But the artwork that I have is phenomenal that it included that in it. I'm just curious. I don't know if we see, you know, because honestly, that wasn't my focus. No, oh, absolutely not. It's one of those things when you go watch it for a second and third time, you can look at type, you can look for these kind of things. I love the critics who were like, oh, the Enterprise D can't maneuver like that. I'm like, it's space. It can maneuver however they want it to. Yep. I thought it was great. Plus, you've got an android flying it or got pretty much somebody who can operate as fast as an android. Yeah. Um, His hands were, f- were moving faster than I could see. Oh, RIP to Nicholas Coster, who passed yeah, away this week. Yeah. It's very uh, sad. Lionel Lockridge from Santa Barbara, also, by the way. Is he weak? Um, no, he that's he was Lionel Lockridge on Santa Barbara. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you. I, t- I didn't hear the name, but I thought you said something else. I thought you meant somebody else passed nope. away. I never watched Santa Barbara, so that's why I didn't get it. I uh, I saw it when I would come home from lunch. My sister uh, watched it. Okay. When I was working at the bank, like when I was 19. That was a long time. Anyway, ago. yet I digress. digress. Um, that that Enterprise D, I, I think, is probably the most satisfying reveal. Yeah. Um, to see the Magnificent Seven on that bridge again the first time they mm-hmm. walk out of uh, they must have been jammed in that turbo lift, man. It must have been asses and elbows in there. <laughs> yep, that's okay. You know, that's but all right. to see them walk out. And obviously it looks the same. It's a little, little differently. Um, because you don't have that stark lighting of the yeah. of the eighties and nineties. Um, but it my word, it looks so gorgeous. Great. It looks so great. Um I loved how it it kind of rode in to save the day at the end, and it kind of did it as if you're like driving a car and you like hit the brakes and then spin the wheel so the tail end of the car swings around. I loved how that's what happened when they came in over the Borg chamber and beamed everybody up. It was a great way for the last thing that the Borg Queen ever saw was the Enterprise kicking her ass again and uh, again. hightailing it out of there. Yep. <laughs> again. You think she'd learn. Well, now she doesn't have to worry about yeah, it. She doesn't. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. So, Dan, that's, uh, like I said, we could go on and on and I, on for we hours. Could. We really could. Um, you'll have to join us on Discovering Trek as we break down season three of Picard. I'd love, to, I'd love to do that. Um, I have two episodes I still have to edit, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, we got some listenings to come up to that. Well, looking for a job is takes time. Yeah, uh, well, that's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but that's that does it for now. If if you're interested in in you know hearing more of us deep dive on Star Trek Picard, uh, subscribe to Discovering Trek wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and, and you can hear us do that there, but, uh, plug. what's nice. that? Nice little plug. Well, that's what a pro podcaster does. Yeah, that's I why I don't do know it. that. No, I don't have an um, idea. I do parkisms. So that's what separate, uh, dear God, I know. Speaking of which, let's just get that over with. All right. Yeah, okay. Do your shtick about the, the music. It's not shtick, dude. It's not shtick. I'm shtick. It's not shtick. Do your, do your thing. Cause you're going to get best. a suit it's again. The, you it's son the of a best. Bitch. It's the best part. Of the five-year mission part is when you do your thing. So do it. Do it. Do it. Shut up. (laughs) As Dan's already mentioned, five-year mission, you hear their music throughout Trek Geeks. You hear it on our network all the time. They are the Star Trek band that writes one song for every episode of the original Star Trek. And these are not song parodies. No. You know, if you're listening to this for the first time and you're like, what's five-year mission? Go to fiveyearmission.net and listen to some of their tracks. They give us new and interesting ways to look at these episodes we've watched all our lives. And it's also great music. So you should become a huge fan like Dan and I are. And um, just go get all those discs, you know, it's buy a- them, put them in your cart, send them to your house, pop them in your, your player and go to town because it is amazing music. It's fiveyearmission.net. And thanks to them 
for allowing us to use their music throughout Trek Geeks. Absolutely. Love every one of those damn band members. They're fantastic. Uh, I got to say, though, man, ambassadors. Just the word, ambassadors. It's a perfect description right there in their title of what they usually are. Uh, We've seen a bunch of them in Star Trek over the years, but none of them were as much of a pain in Kirk's side as this guy. First of all, Bill, he had the worst collar of any outfit known to man in the history of mankind. But he was also clueless, and he was arrogant, and he was a dummy. And it was in that classic episode, A Taste of Farkmageddon, with the... Well, you're laughing already. I like that. He's We're- clueless, tasteless, and a dummy. I'm like, this is not about Dan Davidson. <laughs> well, this was a taste of Fark Mageddon, which is a very important episode. It's where the uh, 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 Mina Fark and the Venda Fark were at war over some kind of music copyright baloney. And this guy didn't care about what was happening and who lived or who died. All he wanted was to look good to Starfleet so he could get home, go home and play his drums and wear other dumb collared clothing. The guy's name, though, is the part that gets me. With all the Farkmageddon and the Venda Farks, Ambassador Robert Farks was this bad dude, Ambassador. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm calling it. I'm putting it down. I'm dropping my mic. You should just drop it in a box and pack it up and never use it again. <laughs> um, I know we've talked about Venda Fark before. We, I, I know. I threw in some history in there before I did Ambassador Farks. I, I wanted to make sure that you caught that because we also talked about a taste of Fark Mageddon in the past as well. Over 800 episodes and that's what you bring me? Am- do you bring what? our listeners? Ambassador Robert Farks. That's new. There's nothing old about that except him. He was old it's and crappy the guy. is what it is. My goodness gracious. We're supposed to love one another here, Bill. I, I I do love you from afar, and that's how I prefer it. Or is that from a Farks? <laughs> FiveYearMission.net. <laughs> Go get all their albums. Of course, Dan, you, and everybody listening can support Trek Geeks by subscribing to us on Patreon, where you get all kinds of special and exclusive perkaroonies. Ab- perkaroonies? I just created I like that. that. That's a good word. You know, nothing's more exclusive than raw audio of this podcast. You can get language like perkaroonies, my inability to speak English, Bill swearing at me, my tangents, Bill's R-rated NPR radio. It's all there for you in the unedited raw video. Uh, But right now, we want Audio. What did I say? Video? Yeah, we don't do video. Yeah, well, I'm looking at you, and it makes me think of video. So I'm sorry. Raw audio, ladies and gentlemen. That's what happens when I pull away from the copy and try to ad lib. It just does not work. So there you go. Right now, though, we're going we're gonna to not worry about any of that. We're going to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. Uh, we are so grateful for their support. So thank you so much, Vikram Bot, Chad Clark, Corey Clay, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Brandon Everidge, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Brian Hackwith, Jonathan Hamilton, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Alan Mollenkoff, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron Mollenkoff, Helen Reed, Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Desi Rogers, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robel, Kalia Zawagi, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hutchins. Connie Hutchins, ladies and gentlemen. So gracious and wonderful. Oh my gosh, yeah. Of course, we want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support, and they are Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonagall. That one was excessive, I agree. Mm, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Casey Pettit, Jamie Rogers. 
Casey Shafsky, Terry Schull, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Vashon. Jess Vashon. Jess Vashon. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the stupendously sensational Jude Tatman. I love how every time you do it, you have words that are the same letter at the beginning. How do you do that? It's called alliteration. You should look that up. <laughs> well, I love Jude. Jude's wonderful. Happy birthday to his mom. I'm also going to throw out right there. You too can become a producer of Trek Geeks, and it is so easy to do. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. Dan, next week as we continue five straight weeks of brand new episodes here on Trek Geeks, we're going to take a look at one of the more quirky characters in Star Trek. And he's even more quirkier than you, if that's possible. Not possible. Not possible at all, but we're going we're gonna to see if that's true. Uh, on TNG, he had an addiction problem. He saw giant worms in the transporter. He became a living supercomputer, and he even turned into a giant spider-like thing. Uh, then on Voyager, he was literally the only person who believed that there was a way to contact Voyager and get her and her crew home safely. It's going to be a fun-filled discussion, and it's next week right here on Trek Geeks, the one and only Reg Broccoli. Um, Barkley. Yeah, Barkley. No, sorry. You know, Dan, this is a, we're going to look intermittently at mental health in Star Trek over the mm -hmm. next uh, several months. And this is kind of how we're kicking it off. Reg Barkley okay. is a character that um, I, I don't think is understood completely and I think gets maligned a little bit, mm -hmm. even by the characters in Star Trek. Yes. And I think that's one of the things we're going to look at. But that starts next week on the flagship. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts here on our network. We have so many fantastic shows, all created by passionate fans who just want to celebrate Star Trek and Gene's vision. You can find all of our podcasts at trekgeeks.com slash listen. Trek Geeks. No one, dude, no one. No one, no one talks Trek like we do. That's true. No one. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 302 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. It's been an honor serving with each and every one of you. Coconut. What, what's that from? That would have been great if that's how Picard left the bridge before to go battle the Borg Queen. Through that coconut in there. Oh yeah, he's on the bridge uh, of the D. Yeah, and then somebody and then says I, coconut Nirvana, and then I the ruined like I'm it. About yeah. to <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.
Hello, Dan. Hi. Welcome to All Things Trekness. Thanks. NPR. Great. I'm I wish you'd stop being so excited and screaming. <laughs> I'm your host, Bill Smith. Oh my god. And today we are here to talk about Star Trek. Dan, I don't know if you were aware. But Star Trek is a television series that originally ran in the late 1960s. That's after the 1950s, but yet before the 1970s. What say you, Dan? I'm gl- I, I don't know what I'd do without you. I, 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 I do know what I'd do without you. I'd have so much better life, but um, that's neither here nor there. I don't think that kind of hatred is necessary here. I'm not saying anything about hatred. I, public radio, Dan. I don't think it's hatred. It's, it's I love the idea, so it's love. That's what I'm thinking. It's, it sounds a lot like hate. <laughs> Dan, there's no place in our hearts for hatred. I have no hate in my heart, Mr. Man. No, I'm, my name is Bill. <laughs> I am properly addressed as Mr. Smith if you're going to use a title. Oh, I got a title for you. Your Honor, Your Eminence, Your Your Highness. After Star Trek was oh, on in the God. 1960s, there were movies. Some called them feature films or just films. They started in 1979. Dan, do you know what the first movie was called? Star Trek. That's very close. (laughs) It was called Star Trek The Motion Picture. Picture. That's the name, Dan. Okay. I don't think mockery is essential to this conversation. Oh, my God. How long is this going on for? How long will the outtake be? How <laughs> <laughs> you doing, man? Uh, I'm here. That was, that was good. That I'm was here. good. Well, you know, when you, you don't have a job, you uh, get plenty of time to think about what you're going to do in the outtake. And that's um, all you came up with? Well, it's always good to resurrect the NPR bit. Oh, that's true. Um, you know, because it's it's gold, baby. It's gold. It is gold. It is gold, and you and you did a good job, and and you had me laughing. You had me wanting to jump out a window too, but that's neither here nor there. Oh my god, that sounds amazing! <laughs> I know it does. Sorry, I was late getting up here though. I was um, I was downstairs. I was in the kitchen making bacon. Wait, how long did it take you to make bacon? It's bacon. It's got one job. Oh, I got to be I, awesome. I got a special bacon I'm making. What for? For heaven's sake! And it's coconut. Ba- no, I'm just kidding. It's not. It's not coconut. I, I, I would want you straight up murdered for that. <laughs> no, I thought you'd like that. No, like, it is, I, it, I, I would find Casey Anthony's number <laughs> or OJ Simpson. No. I don't mean to make light of those crimes, but no. adding coconut to bacon, you should be hung from the nearest yard arm, sir. I. Uh, it is not coconut bacon. Although now I'm kind of thinking about that. It is actually maple bourbon jalapeno bacon why because it's a i'm gonna put it in the smoker so i asked to ask to brine so i had to put all the ingredients together and there's actually star trek in this concoction that i put together because you need a bunch of water a bunch of salt maple syrup brown sugar and bourbon whiskey or if it's just bourbon i don't even know if they call it bourbon or bourbon whiskey but it's i use the bourbon that we got from the lower decks uh, gift set that we got you know, and bacon, jalapenos, lots of jalapenos. 
why would you do that to perfectly good bacon? Uh, okay, maple. All right, bourbon. All right, jalapenos, dude. I'll tell you what. Years ago, Hannaford had an inspirations thick cut bacon, which was jalapeno infused. Probably the best bacon Sue, Chris, Donna, and I ever had. Bacon is the perfect food because it needs no modifier. It's absolutely perfection the way it is. It is. It is good, but this is even good because it's got Gordon alcohol. Gordon Ramsay's not going to let you in his restaurant in Vegas <laughs> when he hears the story. And I'm going to call him and tell him. He will probably want my recipe and he will no, have it on Hell's Kitchen. Guy Fieri would want your recipe. <laughs> that tells you enough about that idea. <laughs> I can't wait to try it. It's got to brine for three days and then I got to smoke it. Not smoke it like, but put it in the smoker. I, I have smoked my fair share of meats. I think I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. None of that, none of that stuff happening on the trek. Jalapenos. I'd like to know what you've actually been smoking. Oh, I love jalapenos, man. I could have gone meth or angel dust. Or I could have like gone that. habanero if I really wanted to. I'm sorry. Really, you could have gone what? Habanero. Did I say? <laughs> did I say it wrong? I said, said habanero. You but said I meant habanero. Habanero. Sorry. Habanero. They, sometimes they don't have the tilde on the sign at the store, so. Well, that's it, because we live in fucking New Hampshire. I've got to have some of that habanero, you know? Put it oh, in the stuff. How would that sound in Market Basket? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to 05 and go to 10, go to 10, you got jalapeno for 1477 for 18,477 pounds. Right now, thank you for shopping Market Basket. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. So I went into a market basket recently for the first time, like since I'm sorry. before the pandemic. Ugh. And those of you in New England, or especially in New Hampshire and, and Northern Massachusetts, will understand what I'm talking about. But the rest of you outside the world might not. But whenever you step into a market basket supermarket, it is literally like time traveling back to 1985. <laughs> so, like, my first job in 1985 was bagging groceries at Star Market. Star Laconia, New Hampshire. Wow. And I, I had to wear the apron. I had to wear a tie. Oh, yes. You know, there was a checker pattern on the floor. You walk in a market basket, I feel like I am 16 again. <laughs> because the, the place is trapped forever the way it looked 40 Floors, years ago. Yeah. The walls, the shelves. The name tags. The, yep. The, the, the way the employees have to dress. Yep. Um, yeah. So... Thank you for shopping Market Basket. Thank you for shopping Market Basket. Market Basket. Right now we got 18 cases of Poland Spring Water for $1.77. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for shopping Market Basket. <laughs> right now we have Coors Light Seltzer free because nobody wants this crap. <laughs> Coors Light Seltzer. Right. They actually make a Coors Light Seltzer. I will not try that. No. I will not. Well, why would you make Coors Light seltzer? I mean, Coors Light tastes like water to start with. Why not just sell regular Coors Light? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, well. What do I know, though? You know a lot. You don't know a lot about seltzer waters, though. I don't know a lot about a great many things. Apparently, finding a job is one of them. Well, you know, we're all, we all got to play that game at some point, right? I suppose. Oof. You know, uh, it's it's. I'm sure it's not going to be my last layoff in my career. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the well, current. You know one. what? I'll hope it will be because you'll be able to retire in in a little over a decade. So it'd be nice if you didn't have to worry about it again. Well, I figure probably fifteen years. You know, as we as we look at probably retirement ages being raised a little bit. Yeah. Um, plus, my wife is younger than I am, so uh, I may have a handful of years where I'm retired and she's not. And that just doesn't seem right. 
Uh, you know. What do you do today, honey? I don't know. I think it might go golf. What are you doing? I've got a conference call at 1130. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think should, that's going to fly. Maybe, maybe you should have been born sooner, hon. Don't you give her that line. Tell her dance at it. <laughs> I I think she would know from the level of stupidity that it was you. I wouldn't have to attribute uh, it. You always got to go to that. I don't, I don't make fun oh, I don't want to my hear own stupidity. you say, I, I always I, have to go there. You always when make fun of my stupidity. you shots at me all the time. Yeah, but I don't call you stupid. You call me stupid, man. Dude, you call me stupid all the time. I call you an idiot. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Come on, get it right, dummy. <laughs> a dummy. So already in this sentence, I've been an idiot and a dummy. What a moron. Oh, the trifecta. <laughs> yeah. Andy hits for the cycle. Just kidding, just kidding. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'll tell you what. You're not missing anything at our at your former place, my current place, because it's a joke as it has been for the last six months. And anybody with uh, listening from my company, that's right. I said it. I don't give a damn. Well, in my separation agreement, I am not allowed to say anything disparaging about my former employer. Um, so I will just say... Are you still serious? looking for a job? That's that's common language in any layoff agreement. So is F you. You agree <laughs> to not disparage the company online. Um you know, as as part of the the severance. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Yeah. Um, big, but honestly, you don't want to be that guy to start with. No, you no, I I'm just joking around. You certainly yeah. don't want to, because you know, people look at put people when you go to your next place, they're gonna look at your social media and go, Oh, look at that. Huh? Yeah. So, Although yeah, I think I'm going to start a YouTube channel, okay, uh, about being laid off and being over fifty. Okay, all the people that have been laid off will watch it. Well, <laughs> you know, people in technology can expect to be laid off any one of a number of different times. Yeah, and it's more frequent now than it was even ten years ago. Yeah, um, you know, companies consolidate. You know, positions are eliminated due to redundancy. And people experience a layoff for the first time, possibly in their career, whether they're deep in their career or just getting started. And it can be pretty demoralizing. Yeah. So I so, say, you know, why don't I try to turn this into something positive while I look for a job? There you go. Nicely done. I've, I've been laid off once and it was while I was dating Sue. So that's that tells you how long ago it was. Long time. Uh, long time. Um, but yeah, so um, I have a feeling it might happen again based on everything that's going on, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that's all you can do, right? Yeah. But on happier tidings, I bring you great tidings of joy, friend, to you. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be sitting in this chair and, and talking some Star Trek for the second week in a row. What's going on, dude? <laughs> I know. It's, I don't know what has happened here to Dan Davidson. but It's pretty crazy. There he is. Um, yeah. In less than four, actually four weeks from mm -hmm. tomorrow as we record this. Uh-huh. Will be Fan Geeks Party 2023. And we made a major announcement. This week. So all the people who said, I know, by the way, thank you on social yes. media yes, uh, for keeping the secret. We announced Michelle Hurd as the final guest. Just fantastic. For the party. And uh, people are out of their minds, Dan. They should be because uh, Michelle Hurd is awesome. I cannot. I'm, I might be fangirling a little bit when, when we're talking to her. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to warn people now on that live podcast. You might hear me you know, breathing hard and passing out. Quite possible because she's <laughs> hyperventilating. Hyperventilating. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. And and I think it's awesome that we're talking about what we're talking about today, and talking about the announcement of Michelle Hurd joining us for the Fan Geeks party. It's, it's yeah. Pretty, it's pretty cool. So I can't wait. And and hats off to you, man. Um, you uh, 
took the shot at getting in touch with her while I was dealing with stuff with my mom, and she replied back, and she was extremely excited. And I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. This has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with the party and us. Um, no, seriously, because you keep saying everything's my idea. Let's say, no, we got to stop that. Okay. This is us. This is Trek right. Geeks that's having this win. I like it. Um, you know, and the people who really win are the people who are attending the party. That's right. Because this is going to be an amazing time. They're going to have Michelle. They're going to have Bonnie. Oh, my God, Bonnie. And, and some guy played a some alien that I can't pronounce good. No, Billingsley's going to be awesome. Denobulian. Den- <laughs> you still can't say it. I, you know what? Whenever I say it when I'm not trying, I can say it without a problem. Denobulian. You still didn't say it right. Denoblian. 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 See, I can't. That's, that's a weird word. You see, you can't say it right anytime. I don't there know what a, you're talking about. There was one on. I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler. It's not a huge spoiler, but a little spoiler. We saw one on Strange New Worlds last week. I was like, very excited. I haven't seen one in real humanoid form uh, in uh, since Enterprise. You did? Yeah. In the transporter room, the, when uh, at the very beginning, um, when Lon was talking to two lower deckers one of them was of that race you know i honestly didn't pay attention to it uh, yeah. um because i was focused on lon's narrative over the top. yeah who was fun who she was she is she is just so awesome christine chong hit that one out of the park they um wow it's amazing they didn't get billingsley to come back for it yeah and by the way if you haven't listened to christina chong's new single uh twin flames twin go flames do it on spotify I mean, I made Martini called Twin Flames last Friday night. Yeah, the one that the uh, the Scorch account put out. Yes, it was pretty yep. great, and the and the flavor was not bad. It was kind of a cinnamon appley thing. It was pretty I, cool. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, I liked it. It was good. So yeah, lots of good stuff going on, man. Very excited. Vegas four weeks away. Party four weeks away. Getting back together with the Trek family. It's gonna be pretty awesome. Uh, it it never disappoints. It doesn't um, that's for sure. Uh, I I just hope everybody scales their expectations with the Rio. It has not been remodeled. It has not changed. It was never going to be remodeled. It has not changed. Um, it's going to suck. Everybody's like, going to get crud afterwards like we always do. It's going to suck like we remember it sucking and we're going to love it. And we are going to love it because it won't suck as much as last year sucked. Yeah, as the horseshoe or Bally's yeah, as it was last whatever year. Whatever the hell his name is. Yeah. Denoblian. Shithole. Deno- wow, okay. Yeah. Denoblian. Yeah, we're going to tag these episodes as explicit now. I'm not going to bleep them anymore. Yeah, why not? Why not? Leave them in there. That's how we talk. Oh, Bitch. thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was, you know, my street creds. You, again, you live in New Hampshire. <laughs> that's, see, that's how bad it was. Your street is a rural road that maybe gets a couple of cars per hour. <laughs> Barbie Court. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Okay. We don't even get a couple cars. We get a couple cars a day. <laughs> Uh, a week, rather. Yeah, one of them is the and mail truck. And, and the other one's usually sewer me. Or I. <laughs> sewer me. Sewer yeah, I thought me. you were saying it was like the name of a of a septic truck company. S-E-W-E-R sewer space me. Yes. Sewer yes. me. Yeah. If you'd said sewer I, I would have understood. Sewer I. Well, I did afterwards. I corrected yeah. myself, which yeah. doesn't happen very often. But when it does, I'm kind of proud of myself. You oh, know, yeah. Star, be proud. Put a little a star in my... Star on my giant forehead. Yeah, oh, I'd like to pin something to your head. <laughs> you ready there, uh, jerk yes. face? Yes, sir. Dumble you'll, door. You'll what? see at the top of the outline, I, I gave you a new pre-roll to read. I like that. I saw it. I'll be happy to do it. For this time only. Then we'll we'll use it to uh, 
canned from going on forward. Okay. Whenever you're ready. All right, buddy. Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for... <laughs> take two. Oh, no. All right. Take two. Okay. I'm going to laugh. Hold on. <laughs> Why are you going to laugh? I'm not doing know. anything. I don't know. I just looking at you. It makes me laugh. Okay. Here we go. Oops. Here we go. It's going to be one of those times, like the bloopers when they get the laugh, the joke. Okay. We got 16 minutes of just outtake material here. And you know what? We haven't Patreon, even gotten to the show. Patreon's going to love it. All right. Coconut. <laughs>